Hop Heads. I'm Justin Crosley. And I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are your hosts of the Hop and Brew School podcast. Joining us today is Alex Rumbles. Thank you for having me. Alex is from Yakima Chief Hops, as is Nick Ziegler. Uh, but Alex is our lackey today. He gets to help us out with all things hops. I'll try. Yeah. We got a great show planned for you today. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the uh, favorite episodes we do, even though it's episode number two. And that's going to be on selecting hops. Every brewer I know. Especially the pro brewers, but even home brewers in my whole career have always wondered, how do we know the hops we're getting are the best ones, or the right ones, or the right format, or the right everything? And so today, uh, Nick's going to walk us through the process that Yakima Chief Hops uses to select hops. Um, and if I remember right, you, you guys must select hops more in, in more quantity than almost anybody on the planet, Right. Um, by volume, <laughs> by volume, it's pretty dang huge. Yeah, it was pretty. It's a it's a pretty huge number. It's a, uh, it's humbling and um, hilarious to walk out into the into the warehouses and and when things are coming in because the entire town smells like hops. It's really fun. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's, it is the it is my favorite. It's like Yak, Yakima is, or actually, it's pretty much any hop production facility during harvest is like my soul's happy place. Right, <laughs> I just want to bathe in it. Oh, dude, wait until you, you know. I hope you, you guys are going to come out sometime um, when they fire up the kilns for the first for the first runs. It is one of the most glorious smells on earth. I can't wait. Well, the Hop and Brew School podcast, uh, in every episode that we do, our goal is to connect the world's finest brewers and home brewers with more knowledge about hops so that we can all drink better beer. It's a selfish endeavor, right, Nick? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I am doing this um, for you, right. but mostly for me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's dive right into hop selection. And one thing I want to preface the conversation with, because I know that we're going to talk about all kinds of different hops in this episode and every episode that we do. And I always get confused uh, on, on the other shows we do here on the Brewing Network uh, about the difference between a hop name or a, or a hop brand and a hop variety. I use those terms interchangeably, but they're not really interchangeable is what I'm starting to learn. That's my impression as well. Okay. Um, and uh, this is something that I'm probably going to get wrong. But um, varieties sort of describe, I guess, the, um, the numbers or, or, the, or the, like, the, the, the breeding codes of the hops. So um, you might have something like, um, I think we mentioned it yesterday, HBC 366. HBC stands for the Hop Breeding Company. And that's a joint venture between Yakima Chief Ranches and Barth Haas. Okay. Um, and then the brand name that's assigned to that is Equinot. Um, but then you also have things like um, Cascade and Centennial that are public varieties, and they were, I guess they were produced with, um, Alex, help me out here. Yeah, uh, I guess if I could simplify it a little easier. That's why it we is, have Alex. It, yeah. it, is, uh, it is a little bit uh, complicated to understand, but mo- most people use the term variety when they're in the brew house, whether when they're selecting hops. They refer to some of these uh, new uh, brands as varieties like Citra, like Sabro, like Pato, like some of these um, really robust uh, hop brands. They call them varieties. Okay. Um, but that's charged. So if I'm a brewer, or rather if I'm touring a brewery and I ask the brewer, what, do you, what variety of hops are you using today? He's probably going to say the name Citra. He will, which is actually um, not entirely factual because okay. um the brand um is in the name 
and Citra. It's Citra. Okay. Simcoe. Those are um, those are brands. The variety for Simcoe is YCR14. So when you when you technically say, uh, oh, what variety do you use? The appropriate response would be YCR14. But I think it's just easier <laughs> to say Simcoe. Well, Simcoe. not only that, even as a beer geek myself, if the answer from a brewer ever came back to me like that at, on a beer tour, <laughs> I'd probably call him a nerd. Right? <laughs> even though I'd be like, nerd. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> Mister Factual and and literal. Yeah. Uh, I, can you give me the brand name? Then I, and then I would be asking the right question. Correct. Okay. And those brands are established by um, Hop Breeding Company in uh, to joint effort with Yakima Chief Ranch is a uh, uh, breeding partner of ours. And they've established these brands um, to symbolize uh, quality. And I think that okay. um, when you have Citra um, versus its HBC variety name, mm-hmm. um, those are two different things. Citra is quality, and it comes through Yakima Chief. I see. So, okay, so that actually helps a lot, Alex. Thank you. Oh my God, <laughs> corporate helped. Yeah. Um, so now I can now I can frame this in in, in geek mind. Right. Um, sorry, in, well, in in non-marketing geek mind. Yeah. Okay. And, and just then to clarify the other side of it, uh, Centennial is right. both the name and the variety. Correct. Okay. So so um, some of these uh, traditional hops uh, like Cascade, Centennial, Chinook, those are considered public varieties because right. they were well they're traditionally um bred and developed um through university um publicly funded organizations so those are the variety name okay. they don't they don't go along with codes that's where it uh that's where it gets a little a uh, little confusing and that's why people just default to saying variety but okay i want to get um people understanding that Citra means something. Simcoe means something. That is that is a that's a promise. It's a brand. Okay. And so I can kind of actually chime, can I chime in here. And get Justin here just saying that. Um, I guess. Well, oh, fine. Um, <laughs> thank you. No. Uh, one of the things uh, the way I look at it uh, now that Alex has clarified that for me, and this sort of goes back to what I was talking about uh, the last episode, where um, there are the, the concept of true to typeness, and so um, the varieties have the potential to produce a whole host of different levels of compounds and in different ways depending on how they're grown and where they're grown. Um, But uh, the name Citra refers to some pretty rigorous quality parameters, which um, describe, you know, the quality of the hops and the management and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but also the characteristics. So we want Citra to be Citra-esque. We don't want it to be a crazy outlier. Um, and even though it might smell amazing, um, that might shift our averages the next year. So we use a, a sort of a, a rolling true-to-type indicator of a five-year average of, uh, of oils and alpha and all that stuff. So that is applied to the brand. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't fit uh, closely or, or exactly into those parameters, it doesn't get the name Citra. Yeah, is pretty that much. right? Okay. All right, fair enough. Can I ask this just for fun? Because mm-hmm. I think it might sound funny. Is every time Nick and I screw it up uh, and and use a name, Alex actually uh, just gives the number in the background. Like if I say, if I just say the if I say variety, he's just like HBC seven oh nine. That's this will be excellent. <laughs> hey, we can play this game. Okay. Oh yes. Okay, this is going to be fantastic. We'll see if it works. It's worth a shot. All right. Well, then let's. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's dive into selecting hops. And I think just a, a good place to start since it's your profession as uh, how does Yakima Chief Hops uh, actually do their selection? Right. So um, we have a sort of a couple, we have a multi-tiered approach. Um, first of all, um, the grower ownership 
program and our company as a whole is really, really invested in sustainability. Like this is, we, we're not doing this for um, this generation. We're not doing this for the next generation. We're doing this for the next generation's grandkids. You know, um, just like how hops take a long time to develop, um, hop processing and hop growing is sort of a really long and uh, very involved endeavor, and it's a it's a pretty resource intensive one. So we're really big on. Um, on, on preserving those resources. And it's, uh, it's not just resources in terms of inputs like water and, and acreage and fertilizer, but in terms of labor and tribal knowledge and uh, people get, really getting involved in this. So for us personally, we have uh, some pretty strong um, corporate social responsibility metrics or CSR metrics uh, for, for Yakima Chief Hops that we use to judge our efficiencies as well as our, uh, our give back to the community. So, so, so what are we really talking about here? Like uh, not not wasting uh, water, not polluting the ground. Uh, is this the type of efficiencies you're talking about? Um, absolutely. And okay. it's also just, you know, conserving energy as best we can, installing okay. solar arrays, um, installing, uh, you know, using a sustainable uh, uh, energy. Um, and that's uh, and that's actually pretty easy where we are because it's all hydroelectric okay. uh, up, up in Washington. So uh, is that to say, you know, uh, I'm a farmer mm-hmm. there, and, and I have figured out how to just grow you the most hops possible. Like, my the yield on my plot of land is amazing compared to my neighbors. Mm-hmm. But it costs me just a, a ton, you know, 10 times the amount of resources as my neighbors to do it. And maybe the water running off of my property isn't as clean as my neighbors. Even though my yield is that awesome, does that mean you won't, you, you're not going to want what I do? Yes. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, obviously there are, there are metrics. And so the metric we actually use, we have our Green Chief program. And this is, I, I mentioned this yesterday, but this is our 100-point quality assessment. Um, and this covers everything from, uh, you know, Hop quality, true to type delivery, um, vo- yield and volume, uh, resource use. Um, so, for example, in your case, you're saying if you t- cost you ten p- times as many inputs, like you're using um, ten times as much fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that's not good. Okay, um, it's not sustainable, and there's also probably going to be runoff. So, we we try to measure these things, uh, and so there's a ratio of, um, you know, like input to output that, that we can we can look at. Okay. Um, and also, if you're not if you're not treating your employees right, if you're not uh, if you're not engaging with the community that you're in, those those things count against you on the Green Chief score. Um, so it's the Green Chief is not just about hop quality, but it's about sort of um, I guess organizational quality. And so just is, on the just on employee treatment alone, if the Brewing Network were a hop grower, we're out. I know that we're already disqualified <laughs> from this metric. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> people volunteer, right? You don't actually hold them over a barrel. Yeah, I guess that's true. So yeah. you know. Um, anyway, that's a that's a big thing for us, and so that's that's kind of one of the things that we also um, we use to, uh, to to bring growers in to our grower network. Um, so people. Um, all our grower owners are, are, are pretty are Green Chief certified, and it's it's really kind of a mark of pride because it's not easy to do, and, and it costs money and time. But people really buy into it, and so a lot of our, our grower suppliers are are gaining ground in their who are not grower owners. Um, they're gaining ground in their Green Chief ratings. Okay, and um, you know, so when when uh, an Idaho grower or an Oregon grower. Uh, either approaches us saying they want to sell into our, our, our company mm-hmm. or we approach them because we really like what they're doing. Okay. Um, you know, we set up a structure to evaluate where they currently are and look at the gap between where their perfect score would be and, you know, try to try to assist that. Okay. Um, so do you help them reach that goal? Oh, absolutely. You do? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's... Because you want to be doing business with these people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. it's, 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 you know, if we can get... If someone's grown some awesome hops, yeah. we 
would love to to help them. Okay. Um, we you know we all we are all hopheads. I mean, we are beer geeks and. Um, Again, self-serving. Yeah, uh, yeah. we uh, we really like. I mean, some of the some of the, some some small farmers are uh, are producing just some absolutely stellarly beautiful hops. Okay, um, on tiny acreages and using not the most modern equipment, and so it's not as sustainable as it could be. So we're going to try to figure out how to help them. You know. To grow, and okay. that's that's one of the reasons that people want to want to work with us is that we're really involved in their success. And of course, as a just as a consumer myself, uh, an occasional home brewer, all of that puts more and better hops in my hands. So I'm liking it already. Yeah, I mean the, the thing is, is that by helping people succeed, they're able to reinvest in their farms, and therefore we get more and more better hops. Okay. All right. So some rigorous standards for the the farmers and and the hops that that end up uh, landing in uh, Yakima Chief's hands. Mm -hmm. What now? Okay. So we when when bales arrive, so hops get baled and they're they're about two hundred pound bales. Um, when they show up, we take samples and make sure that they conform to things like seed and stem. And actually, the Washington Department of Agriculture does that for us. That's a mandate of theirs. Uh, we make sure that the alpha acids are where they should be, the oils are where they should be, that the humidity levels are where they should be, because as I mentioned yesterday, they can go poof. Um, and um, once we have those metrics, then we take them in, and they enter with something that's called Q status, and that's uh, we use that as our um, sort of you know it's it's pending quality checks. Okay. Um, so we do a bunch of lab analysis on it, but then every single lot that comes through, we um, go through sensory, and we rate it according to our system, and we have um, is the sensory is this all like a room full of machines because when i think of sensory i i think of a panel of people yes so it's okay. both actually okay so we do um we sit down and we rub every single lot um i think uh tommy and gerald this year were tommy Ancon, the the technical brewer and gerald pence, pence? yes she's okay. uh she's in i believe she's new um and she uh she has the record for the num highest number of lots smelled last year and it Is was right? it was over a thousand lots wow. of hops <laughs> and she was an intern starting out but she was awesome okay. and she did a really good job at it and so did tommy um and we're as we're wrapping this up so we we, we look for um descriptors and we're trying to generate common descriptors that we can all use to talk about these hops and so that we know we're talking about the same things. Okay. Um, Can we do a case study right now? Can we pick Simcoe or something and and tell me, you know, if I'm there next to you. ICR 14. <laughs> hey. It's working already. In. It's working already. Uh, if I'm there with you. And and I've, I've, I'm I'm smashing up the hops in my hand, mm -hmm. right? You got to you got to kind of rub you your hands rub together, them, yep. smash them, and to get all of the oils out. Mm -hmm. What are some of the sensory uh, common terms, like you said, that I'm looking for? Okay, so some of the things that you would be looking for would be um, grassy. Okay. Um, and so, is it uh, fresh cut grass? Is it uh, dry grass? Is it hay? Is it um, you know sort of uh, you know somewhat fresh cut grass, but the middle of a pile that you raked up yesterday, so okay. it smells kind of funky? Um, that would be a negative attribute in my mind. Yeah. Which one or multiple of those am I looking for in a great Simcoe? Now, this is a what YCR fourteen? <laughs> <laughs> I caught him sleeping. Oh, <laughs> Alex, caught Alex. All right, go ahead. All right, so so this is this is very much up to the brewer, and I'm going to get into okay. that in a minute. So okay. um, that's just one attribute, and then you get things like um, citrusy. Mm -hmm. um, what how, how citrusy is it? So you rate them on intensity. So it's like, oh my god, this just smells like lime peel and grapefruit and orange um, above everything else. So we're going to rate that like a ten. 
Um, or it's like, ah, there's some like, you know, marmalade smell in the background there. And that might be, you know, a three or a four or something okay. like that. Um, and so then we have to use these descriptors because that's how we're going to present them to customers. Got it. Um, Does there have to be, on the, let's say this marmalade. Does there have to be a consensus? Or if just Justin is like, I'm telling you, there's marmalade in there, do you then put it in the... In the so we actually weight everybody um, in terms ah. of their, their, their inputs, and we do take the average scores, okay. um, because otherwise it would just be impossible. That makes um, sense, yeah. And, um, but we, we have a sensory validation program, um, and this is actually getting built out even further this year. Um, and that sensory validation program is focused on making sure that people have a are within the same range of intensities mm-hmm. because everybody has blindnesses and sensitivities to, yeah. to these compounds um like there are certain compounds that like i just don't smell in beer um and therefore in other things okay um but once we have a common common sort of um, lexicon of terms you can then start rating those things as a group on intensity and then you can also assign an overall quality score to the hop so we might say um or a rating i guess so we'd say okay this was a you know a seven citrusy a three grassy a two woody um but it had this diesel plasticky character in it so we're going to rate down we're going to rate that down instead of being like you know up in the sevens eights nines tens it's going to be down in the you know four or five sixes okay um and so we do that but then we also concomitantly run all these samples through our gas chromatography program um and we've got a couple of Really badass machines. Um, thank you, board. Um, I, I love the, I love you for that. These toys are amazing, um, and we also have we also do some uh, olfactory science on that, um, and then we build profiles of each lot, uh, looking at the chemistry of the compounds that are in there, um, and so we're able to really get a very good spectrum of of knowledge about each lot, and then we can ideally looking at brewer preferences. We can sort of lump these lots into likely to be selected by Group A, likely to be selected by Group B. So we're really trying to refine this to even even further. So what are, that's a brilliant plan. R- rather than uh, well, this one didn't meet every standard. It's out. Reject. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to then give it to some, sell it to someone else. Get rid of it. Burn it. I don't know what you do, but I, I love having every brewer has a different preference. Absolutely. I mean, I think the uh, um, did I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it yesterday, but um, I always use Jeremy Marshall as an example because he's always my example of this too. Go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> I don't Jeremy, know how this happened. But. Jeremy and I. Are, are pretty, like, uh, we get along great. I love the dude. Um, but we have a different approach to the type of beers we make. Yeah. Jeremy likes big, classic, dank IPAs. And I think Jamil does, too. Okay, I uh, think so, yeah. Uh, the evil Twin and all that. Um, I tend more towards the light, fruity, flowery stuff. It makes me, I, I want to get confused. I want to feel like I'm on the beach. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, there's this lovely tropical aromas floating around me. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, whereas Jeremy's like, I want this to smell like a blunt and uh, right. get punched in the face with aroma. Yeah, Lagunitas loves the dank, and Jeremy's like the leader of that. Oh, by far. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and, and it's great. And so, like, you He's know. He's the one who just... Quickly, he's the one who taught me that there are differences in Simcoe that some people like and don't like. Because mm-hmm. I was adamant that I didn't like Simcoe. And then he said, oh, you know what? 
I actually don't like those qualities either. So I, when selecting hops, I choose the Simcoe that doesn't have strong amounts of those qualities. Then you put a beer under my nose and, and let me drink it. And uh, lo and behold, I like Simcoe. Yeah. So I just like hearing that there are these real differences, but it, it can still be Simcoe. Oh, absolutely. And so there's, there's, there's a range. Yeah. And then, you know, if something's way outside of that range, we're going to kind of go like, that doesn't quite fit. Okay. But the range is, you know, we don't want to make it too tight because that limits the beauty beauty of that variance. As I said earlier, one of the things that we really like to celebrate is our focus on, um, I guess, turning a bug into a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the variability between uh, terroir, like uh, so, so uh, things that will naturally express in Idaho um, or, you know, down in Doug Weathers Farm in, in, uh, in Oregon or up at Loftus Ranches or Tributary uh, in Yakima Valley okay. um, or at Peralta. All, all of our growers, um, they're, in, they're in slightly different microclimates. And so those things provide a spectra of, of, of a foundation that you can, again, as I, as I mentioned yesterday, manipulate through agronomy and try to make them all the same. But that's kind of boring. Why not, let's say, okay, well, hang on, you know, Van Horn and Brulot are producing these hops, and they're, they're, they're different, but they're in the same spectra of, 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 of the five-year five year average of this hop. So they're totally still Simcoe, as okay. an example. Um, and it's, it's beautiful because you get um, more tools, or I guess the way I frequently describe it, I use a, a painter analogy. It's like having more colors in your palette. Yeah. Um, and so you're able to, to, to blend these together to make these really beautiful scapes or, or aromascapes. Um, so it's really fun. Um, but I guess that's that's kind of the way we do it. That's um, okay. And Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking. Of, so an enormous amount of sensory uh, is to make sure it has. I mean, you guys have a, a sheet or a database of each hop and, and what it's supposed to be like in, in every parameter. Mm-hmm. And I assume that there – now, we've, we've talked about the, the human sensory part, but you did mention there, there, there is a, a chemical compound or a machine compound. So I assume you're measuring for things like alpha acids. That's an obvious one I think most of our listeners would know. What are some things you measure for that I might not know? Well, um, the major oil fractions, are, and these are the, the big players that have been, have been described already, so like citronellol, citrol A and B, nerol, linalool, and geraniol. So the citra, go figure, citronellol, <laughs> citrol A and B, those all smell like citrusy stuff. Okay. Um, nerol is um, what, uh, like, is intense orange oil. Um, and that's when that when that pops up, it's just beautiful. Um, linalool is, as, as I mentioned yesterday, is 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 used to uh, indicate citrusy compounds or citrusy character in hops traditionally. Okay. And geraniol was traditionally floral, but there's actually a whole host of other stuff. Um, and we're going to get into the weeds in that a little bit later. Um, Would every compound you you just mentioned? be in every hop variety just in different amounts or are, are they specific to a hop like citra so 394 <laughs> thank you hey <laughs> yes alex um, you're gonna have to be at every show um <laughs> uh the jeez the um the, those major components that I was talking about, those are all going to be there in, in lesser or greater amounts. You also have things like caryophylline, farnesine, and myrcene. Um, and myrcene is always going to be the highest uh, proportion of the hop oils. Um, okay. But it doesn't necessarily persist in the beer. What does myrcene contribute? I've heard that one a lot. I just have no idea what so, it is. So um, 
different things. It's typically referred to as like the big driver of hop aroma. Um, when you when you first when you first whiff it, it's, it's real big and, and, and strong. Okay. Um, in different concentrations and in, in the presence of other compounds, it can smell kind of like carrots. It can also smell just kind of like so it's a little earthy, but it's also super. Uh, fragrant and kind of floral and and it's got a lot of complexity to it um but it it, it changes in the process in the brewing process and then uh, doesn't it's very very volatile and so that doesn't uh, doesn't persist for very long i see so it's it's a uh, it's important so it's not exactly a desirable uh aroma or flavor but it's always there uh I I personally like it. I see. Okay. Um, and this is again personal taste. Sure. So, so some people hate it. Okay. Um, uh, uh, you know, t- traditional German brewers really don't typically like it. Okay. Um, and again, because it doesn't persist throughout the process, it's not really a big deal. Okay. Um, all right. So I guess that's kind of how we do it. There's a, so the, the chemistry is 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 a lot more complex than that. And we're going to get into it a little bit more later. Um, but um, we're sort of wading into uncharted territory here, um, which is really, really exciting for me as a brewer and honestly just as um, a geek. And the science of it is just fascinating. You guys are going to meet Pat um, Pat Jensen later on. He's our, our, our wonderful, insane genius organic chemist, um, and he's going to be able to walk us through and, and you know go into the weeds and then come out with a machete and, and have a nice little garden behind um, so that yeah. that episode will be coming up in the series here pretty quick, so we'll be able to die right in. All right. Well, before we take a quick break, I just, you know, in speaking of quality, which is really what we've been discussing, the, the quality of the sensory, the, the quality of the compounds in it that you test. Um, but what about even visually or structurally? I mean, d- d- does, it, does size matter, Nick? <laughs> and not just that, but like density. So all those things are, are important, but they're more important from a processing perspective. Okay. So um, size does matter, but shape matters more. Oh. Um, so um, the way we actually separate hops from uh, non-hop material, so the, the binds, the, the twine, the leaf, and all that stuff, is we use these wonderful rubric. Goldbergian machines. They're, I mean, like, have you ever played the game The Incredible Machine as a kid, where you just no. assemble a bunch of stuff, or you see that thing where the marble drops down the chute and then oh, uh, it knocks the bucket it. onto a cat, and the cat, yeah, jump, yeah it's one of, they're, they're kind of like that. I they're, was way too slow for that, but I know the game. They're insanely, insanely complicated. It's really fun. But one of the primary um, uh, ways, we, ways we separate things is through gravity using dribble belts. And so the angle of these belts is established, and you have to worry about something called the angle of repose for, for particles. Okay. So hops will will roll down at a certain angle or not at another, but they have to be round. So if you get these like long, very large and thick cones, <laughs> right. um, they, they, don't, they don't roll down very well. Okay. And so that's actually a problem is that you actually have to think about morphology when you're selecting a variety. Um, so that, that sounds to me that it's, it's more about being able to process the amount of hops you're processing. In other words, if I was a home brewer... And just kind of picking up handfuls of whole leaf hops, mm-hmm. would I care that they're very long and large and wouldn't roll? In other words, are the compounds in them pretty much the same for me? Uh, well, 
yes and no. Okay. Um, so if you're growing them yourself and you're growing them exactly according to our quality standards and we have our Green Chief team out there and our Footprints team making sure that you're doing everything correctly, uh, <laughs> which is unlikely, um, <laughs> but if you're able to do that, yeah. um, you should get similar similar results. Okay. Um, but the, the size and, and the shape of the cones don't matter so much on a home brewing scale okay. because you're going to be hand-picking them. You, you, don't, you don't have a hop picker. You, know, you, don't, you don't have a top cutter and a bottom cutter. You don't have this tractor that's getting pushed down behind a thing and you're not you know you're not picking 35 million pounds of hops no so you can just pick them like grapes with your hands i mean if you have kids you have a picker i would think uh they're short hops are tall <laughs> that's true yeah, um, yeah. so it's a you, you could you know the the, the, the trellises are pretty strong you could do sort of a trapeze thing right um that make would, this a little game yeah exactly hey kids <laughs> you want to get in the swing yeah and yeah, i'll see you after lunch yeah. um anyway i'm a horrible person <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so you could do that but i think that if, if typically once the, if the hops start expressing a very different um characters like physical characters then something has changed okay and so you're probably going to see that in these really complex oils and stuff got it okay so um i i would like to backtrack a little bit because um we've been discussing quality in terms of true to typeness in terms of our quality score that we use yeah um but th- what we're talking about in terms of selecting hops we're actually looking for characteristics so we're talking about hop character rather than hop quality all of our hops are quality hops we don't accept stuff that doesn't meet our really stringent quality parameters in other words by the time they get to this process that we've been discussing you already know that they've passed the quality standards oh absolutely okay yeah they're they're good they've got they've got uh, they don't have any of the uh, pesticide residue uh, uh, you know they're all those are all within legal limits um there's no uh you know the seed and stem is 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 is, is appropriate. Um, the uh, moisture levels are good. The alpha levels are good. The total oil level is good. Okay. Um, and all that stuff. So, so it's really a process which you kind of mentioned where you're you're just sort of starting to divide these hops, even of the same strain. Oh, absolutely. Variety or name. Um, you're, you're dividing them into groups uh, that, that brewers might like and other brewers might not like, for example. Absolutely. Okay. And so we, we, have a, we have a certain confidence intervals in whether or not someone's going to like something or not because based on previous uh, selections. Um, but so then as a, as a brewer, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm, just, I'm trying to think of everybody who wants to select hops. Mm-hmm. You know... If I come to Yakima Chief Hops and and it's time for me to select hops, um, I'm really doing the same thing. I'm just grabbing these things. I'm I'm, I'm mushing them up in my hand, and I'm trying to smell if they have the characteristics I'm looking for. You're going to show me a data sheet that already tells me they have the alpha and and any of the other uh, compounds that you mentioned. So I'll be able to just look at that sheet and see if it has it. I'm really just smelling it to find out if I I want it in my beer. Exactly. And so what you're doing is... For your recipes, your and your your beers, you're thinking, okay, what do I want to get out of these hops? You know, do I want um, a bubblegummy Chinook or right. a bubblegummy Columbus, or do I want like big dank pine? Okay. Um, and you know, some of those characteristics that that are that are in those things are um, are the drivers in the ar- ar- aromatics of your beer. Okay. Um, and some people you mentioned about like color and, and shape and structure and stuff earlier on. Um, quite frankly, some of the best hops I've smelled have looked weird and brown. Really? Um, and it, it's, it, there are varietal differences in, um, in the morphology and the shape and, 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 and color of it. 
Um, so, for example, Mosaic Hops. Um, HBC 369. Yeah, nice he's on nice it. <laughs> uh, mosaic Hops um, are named that because they have this beautiful mosaic pattern on the petals, uh, on the petal, sorry, um, and, the, and the bract of the, of the hop. Um, they, they're, they're striped, and they've got this sort of alternating pattern. It's, it's, they're, they're beautiful. Um, you know, Equinot and Citra typically are a little bit paler. Um, and so when you get them in, you know, you get these beautiful dark green Simcoe's. Yeah, YCR fourteen, nice job. Um, and uh, uh, Equinot and Citra, on the other hand, right? You know, three sixty six and three ninety four. Oh my god! Eventually, we're actually just—we don't need Alex. We're just going to have a soundboard with him on there. And I'll Perfect. Just, I'll hit just the plug button. Yeah, the Alex button. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so um, those will will look a little different, and they're going to be a little bit paler frequently, um, and they're going to be—they might even have some browning on them because of when when you pick them, um, and. And uh, those characteristics traditionally were held to be bad. But some of the best lots I've, I've smelled looked kind of brown and, for lack of a better term, kind of shitty. Kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> um, right. But they're, they're but not. But this is good to know, especially, you know, uh, again, if I'm, a, if I'm a brewer coming in there, I, I guess I just assume everything's supposed to be bright green and dank looking. And mm-hmm. um, so this is good to know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty important. Okay. So. Um, like I, I've got fancy toys now. Again, thank you, board. Um, but the um, the human nose is really what's going to be the end all, be all judge of our uh, of our product. So your nose is the best GC you've got. So. Great. So I'm doing Follow your nose. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to get us to a, a real quick break. Uh, but when we come back after this very short break, we're going to be talking uh, more about the different varieties and brands. We're going to talk more about the compounds. Um, and we're also going to talk about combining hops. Oh, yes. Yeah. So some good stuff. So hang in there. You're listening to the Hop and Brew School podcast. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are still talking about selecting hops today. Of course, we've got Nick Ziegler in the studio, and uh, Corporate Alex is with us. Yay! Yay. I guess that's my new nickname. (laughs) I'm sorry. Everyone gets a nickname. It means I like you. Uh, So uh, you're you're here to to help us out and and for us to make fun of, let's be honest. Perfect. (laughs) Excellent. The foil. Uh, If you're looking uh, for video of this, you can always go to thebrewingnetwork.com and click on our live uh, page and you can watch video of the episode too in case you want to see what uh, Nick's uh, what's behind the sexy Nick voice. You can, you can check him out on, on camera. There's always a video component that goes I gotta, I gotta remember that so I don't pick my nose. <laughs> That's right. You are on camera. Uh, Alright, so let's dive right back in um, and, uh, and I think it's time that we start to understand the distinct varietals. Uh, as, as we're selecting hops. Absolutely. Um, okay, so when you're talking about using using the different varieties in in, in a beer, um, and I know that, I mean, a couple years ago, the, the single hop beer craze kind of kicked off. And uh, that's actually a really good way to learn um, how a hop is going to behave in a given recipe. And I always encourage people to have a standard house recipe that they use to um, identify how a hop's going to behave. Um, so, for example, um, when uh, Citra really kind of hit the scene, I started using, um, using it in, in, a, in a pale ale, 
um, and I used it in uh, you know the, the single hop for the whole thing. So so a little bit of bittering, um, but then a big hop burst charge like Jimmy advocates. It's uh, it's it's really fantastic to do that way. So you use it uh, in the in the late editions in the kettle or your whirlpool. Um, I had a little hop back in home brewing, and then also uh, dry hop with it and staggered dry hops. And so what you do is you end up getting sort of the full spectrum of 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 contributions of that 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 hop can 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 bring to your beer um obviously the best way to do it would be to use it only as bittering and then only as whirlpool and then only as dry hop and then different combinations of them but most people don't have that kind of time or tank space um but um in any case so when you're under when you're looking at a single uh variety or a brand of hops um you're going to be wanting to look for the characteristics that you want in your beer and they all have different characteristics. And those characteristics are going to be governed. I mean, there's obviously the bittering. So like, you know, Magnum or Hercules being the, 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 the now most common bittering varieties that we, we typically use um, because they're real clean. Um, they, don't have, they don't contribute a lot of other aromatics. Um, so in, in, in our bittering hop, the, the aromatics, uh, the flavor, the aroma almost don't matter, completely don't matter. We're, we're really just looking for alpha acid and, and bittering. Almost don't matter. Okay. Um, now this is this is actually uh, you know a story from from uh, from from my Perbrian pro- days. Um, you know we we neglected to order our bittering hops on time. Okay. And so I looked for the closest alpha acid equivalent, and then said, okay, well you know you do the calculation and say, okay, we got to got to use this much. And uh, we actually ended up using. So we typically bittered with Magnum, and then we use ended up using uh, uh, Vic Secret to replace it. And Vic Secret is a really assertive hop in certain ways. Um, I, I describe it as sort of very uh, eucalyptusy and um, kind of a weird hazelnut thing in the background. And even though you only we only used like uh, two pounds in a five thousand liter batch, so that's like in a forty some barrel batch. Mm. Um, the bittering character was noticeably different. There was flavor that persisted. There wasn't any aroma from it, but the flavors that, that I associate with it seemed to be pretty persistent in, in wort and in beer. And this is after a 90-minute boil, so I was pretty impressed by that. So it can have an impact. Okay. Um, you just got to be careful about that. Um, so for bittering, I typically advocate picking a, a more neutral variety, and you Always, so I always calculate backwards um, for my whirlpool editions because that's that that's the type of beer that I, I made. I was, it was very very hop forward. Okay, um, and so uh, you know I'd pick a bunch of of hops um, and I'd add them in our whirlpool, and I had a rough idea of the utilization of the bitterness there. So that's uh, typically um, depending on the size of your system, depending on the efficiency, it can be from anywhere from like you know fifteen to thirty percent um, of your IBUs. Is of, that what you're talking about? No, of the the utilization efficiency of the isomerization rate of the alpha acids, okay. and therefore contribution to IBUs, international bittering units. Got it. Okay. So um, once you've got your sort of whirlpool charge figure figured out, you got to figure out what 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 character you want to have in the beer. Do you want it to be citrusy? Do you want to be tropical? Do you want to be piney? Do you want to be dank? Do you want to be balanced? Do you want to taste like berries and red fruit and stuff like that? You know, all these things are associated with um, certain compounds and certain uh, mixes of compounds. And those mixes and, and balance of compounds are different in the different um, hop brands and hop varieties okay so um as an example i can start talking to you about uh citrusy stuff so the compounds that we were typically looking at i guess i mentioned earlier are citronellol citral a and b nerol linalool and geraniol those are the big say those again slower citronellol Mm -hmm. citral a and citral b nerol n-e-o n-e-r-o-l linalool 
and geraniol. Okay. Um, so those are all associated with citrusy character. But what kind of citrusy character are we talking about here? Are we talking about um, lemon? Are we talking about orange and tangerine? Are we talking about grapefruit? Are we talking about lime? Um, you start to see changes and, and, and differentiation between varieties when you look at those compounds in balance with each other and then also in, uh, in balance with other compounds. Um, and what has been really coming to light in the last couple of years is that uh, the thiol group of, of compounds, the thiol, thiol class of compounds, has a very strong um, interactive effect with other compounds to make certain um, aromatic uh, characters. So um, if you look at, I'm going to spout out some chemical names here. Okay. Um, so for uh, like some of the fruity characters that you get, some of the fruity thiols, you get 4-MMP. I mentioned that yesterday, and that's 4-Macapto-4-Methylpentane-2-ON or 4-Methyl-4-Sulfonylpentane-2-ON. Um, and that gives sort of a blackcurrant berry character. Yeah. Um, then you also have uh, 3-MH, which is a 3-Mercaptohexanonol, um, and that's sort of a rhubarb and citrusy note. And then you can also have 3-MHA, uh, which is 3-Mercaptohexyl acetate, and that gives passion fruit and guava notes. So on their own, those compounds will smell somewhat like that, but they'll have um, a bit of a sort of a dankness to them as well, not just, not just this fruity character, um, but in combination with citronellol, citrol, nerol, linalool, and geraniol in different ratios, you get different expressions. Mm -hmm. So that uh, 4-MMP and 3-MH together actually, um, I think if, in, if you combine them with citronellol and um, linalool, you end up getting a pretty grapefruity character. Okay. Um, 3-MHA, which is the, the passion fruit and guava notes, when you combine that with um, Nerol, you get much more of a mango character than a passion fruit necessarily. And this is, again, this is going to be different uh, depending on your personal experience of, of fruits and smells. Mm -hmm. um, so and this is something that also I should really address is that um, sensory descriptors are very, very individual, and they're based on uh, on your experience of, throughout life. Um, so, you know, I, it doesn't matter if a certain compound reminds me of the melancholy of walking into my grandmother's kitchen and finding out she didn't have any more sugar cones for ice cream. Okay. Um, that has no relationship to your life. But uh, if I say, you know, it smells kind of like that old cooked food smell in grandma's house, um, more people are going to be able to identify with that. Okay. But what if your grandmother is Asian rather than Polish? It's going to smell totally different. For so one, we, if my grandmother was Asian, she's got some explaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand. Um, so the um, thinking about those compounds, like those, those are in different ratios in different varieties and different brands. Okay. So... so are there brewers who come to you, who come to Yakima Chief Hops, and, and they understand these compounds as you've described them and what they equate to? Grapefruit, for example. Uh, in other words, can they look at a data sheet from you and say, okay, yeah, I already know that that one has the grapefruit I'm looking for? Uh, or, or is it always they have to come smell it? They have to do the sensory? So this is all pretty... Um novel cutting edge stuff like okay. we, we've we've been identifying these compounds but um and we're identifying how they work together but dude there's like a thousand seven hundred plus i see okay. so 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 <laughs> you know it's 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 a it's a it's a morass of of potential combinations okay um but uh brewers will typically say oh i like uh mosaic and oh, so uh, 369 
Damn it, Alex. Uh, Alex. You know what, the dude? Sound, you know, once the soundboard is faster, you're, you're out of a job. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, failing. All right. So the um, uh, typically no. Um, brewers will know about classes of compounds, uh, and they might have read an article about a, a single compound or something. But to be quite honest with you, the hop industry and the perfume industry doesn't even know all this stuff. Yet. I see. Um, so, so we're we're really working. It's only it's only been the last couple of years that the analytical equipment has gotten to be uh, good enough, and also reduced in cost i wouldn't say cheap or inexpensive but um almost affordable okay um for 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 a large company um that we're able to actually dive in here so right now it's really just a matter of collecting data on your part so that so that eventually or even in part now you can go oh that really grapefruit hop that jeremy likes uh has these compounds so we almost already know from the data sheet that it's that hop as you collect the data we are hoping to get there okay yeah um but uh the so that the thing to think about is really um where i'm going with this is eventually is try to find hops that 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 play well with others and okay. so when we're talking about single varietals we're, we're talking about you know this hop has these expressions and that's all good but then, okay, well, it's got this ratio of compounds. What if I mix it with this other hop, hop that has this other ratio of compounds? Mm-hmm. So uh, as an example, Chinook is really quite high in 4-MMP. Um, and that, in conjunction with some of the other stuff, provides this real fruity character. Okay. Chinook is not something people would usually describe as a fruity hop. Right. It's, it, Chinook's more of like an earthy. Earthy, right? piney, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so when you, but when you combine those two things together, they become something different. Okay. which is really kind of cool. Um, and it's actually really interesting that you said earthy piney because um, uh, like 3MH is rhubarb and citrus. And if you uh, smell the Citra brand hops. Yeah, 394. There you go. He's, he's, back, on the, he's back on it, folks. Um, if you smell the Citra brand hops, you do get a, a bit of earthiness in some of them. And that's actually that sort of rhubarb character okay. coming through. All right. Anyway, but of course there must be uh, sometimes th- that you don't want these combinations. There, there is a hop that that'll be horrible with Chinook. Absolutely, okay. um, and so there's this concept that uh, that I've used for, for for many years until you know I started learning exactly what's going on, or, or at least getting close to learning about learning what's going on. Okay, um, Pat <laughs> Pat's the guy who's going to look at a compound and goes, "Ah, it's going to smell kind of like cedar with a bit of regret and toasted coconut." He's um, one of your chemists. He's he is he's he is the chemist. Okay. Um, he is uh, he's just the bomb. Yeah, he's hilarious uh, and just a freaking genius savant. Okay. Um, the anyway. Um, so seeing how to combine these varietals and, and, and that you wouldn't want to combine these things. It's not necessarily that you wouldn't want to, but it's gonna, you're not maximizing your hop utilization. You're going to be okay. getting a character that, that may not be what you want. And I think, I think homebrewers used to be notorious for this. Actually, I think it's changed as homebrewers have learned a lot about their, their own craft. But we used to call it on our early shows, you know, a kitchen sink beer. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, you're excited. You just started brewing. You, you love this ingredient. You love that ingredient. We're going to put them all in this beer. Why wouldn't you? I love them all. Yes, I'm going to have 15 malts and uh, 17 hops. Right. And um, yeah, because that's totally feasible on a commercial scale. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but even as a homebrewer, it, 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 it was feasible. You could do it uh, affordably, but you didn't end up with the beer that you thought you were going to end up with. You ended up with this, this kitchen sink beer. So um, I don't want to say that it's exactly this, this less is more policy, but 
It seems to me that now understanding really what goes together is what's more. Absolutely. Okay. And so it's because so those kitchen sink beers, the way we describe them, uh, they can get kind of muddled. And so you're like, yeah, there's citrus there, but there's also like earthy and some stone fruit and a little bit of pine and dank. And maybe like, some onion. Maybe some onion. Yeah. yeah. And that's and, and so that that'll get kind of. You know, it's like, well, what's going on here? There's yeah. too much going on. A failure is what's going on. <laughs> Not a failure. It's, it's a learning experience, <laughs> okay, Justin. you're right. You're if right. you were brewing again, you'd know that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess for me, it, it, is, it is a matter of taste. Okay. Um, but the do's and don'ts uh, for combining hop character is really focus on what you're trying to get out of it. Um, and so I was alluding to something earlier, which um, so I've described a lot of hops as lifter hops. And what I've learned is that it's they're contributing these compounds, these thiols, and some other compounds that are um, elevating the aromatics pro- uh, provided by the more traditional, um, like the, the larger oil fractions, as well as some of the other ones that are that are really really minor, mm-hmm. um, but they're very important. Um, so if you look at uh, mosaic as an example. Um, that is 369. There you go. Um, I frequently use that as a lifter hop because it has a very high thiol percentage. Um, and so basically chucking it into a beer, even at a low, relatively low level, like a 5 or 10% of the, of the dry hop bill, it'll elevate um, the perception of other hops. Okay. Um, and so that's, uh, that's a really nice one. That's an interesting one to me because isn't it called mosaic because it actually presents this mosaic of, of different flavors? That's, it was called mosaic because of the way it looks. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it's not. It doesn't have a ton of different compounds. Oh it, no, it, it absolutely does. It does. Okay. But it, um, but it, it was just called that because it looked like a mosaic. Understood. Okay. Um, but so that's that's a that's a really good lifter hop. Uh, so can you give me a couple other examples of what mosaic will lift up really well? The big juicies. So uh, Citra. Simcoe, um, YCR fourteen, HBC three ninety four. You can Equi- only do it if he does one at a time. Equinot, um, <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, HBC three sixty six. There we go. Oh, he's going right. to know his numbers when he gets back to Washington. He's, he's just going to be confused. He's going to see numbers. <laughs> yeah. um, no. Say them again for me because I because so, I interrupted. Citra, Simcoe, um, Equinot. Um, and Amarillo all get lifted up pretty heavily. Okay. Um, that said, you can also use a different set of compounds in, in the mosaic um, to make a big dank beer. Um, so a big, heavy-charged mosaic beer can be very, very um, piney and dank and, 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 and characterful okay. in, in, a, in a way that um, Jerry might like. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, where was I going with that? Okay, so another example of a, sort of a lifter hop um, uh, up until recently um, is Laurel. Um, it contributes mm, a lot a of... 291. It, 291, there you go. It contributes a huge quantity of citrus compounds that really play well with others. So, um, And the floral nature of it, too, sort of makes your nose wake up and go, ooh, that smells interesting. Okay. Um, and it's, and it's, it's really fun to play around with that way. Um, so, okay, here, backing up a little bit. I'm excited to go back to trying some commercial beers that I didn't know had some of these hops. I'm not familiar with Laurel, but I'm sure I've had a beer with it. Uh, so as the show goes on, I'm kind of excited to go back and taste and go, oh, that's what Nick was talking about. Mm-hmm. 
That, no, well, that brand was wasn't released until 2017. Oh, right, right. But you would have had, you know, maybe the variety. Okay. If you had any beers with HBC 291 in them, then you had Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> Alex's yeah. ideal bar uh, actually lists the the hop codes under the beer, whereas we all want to see the alcohol and maybe the IBUs. Alex just wants to see the lot number, <laughs> the lot number, and the and the and the TM, like the little branding there, right yeah. there, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Why um, isn't there a circle? on that Laurel beer. It's my favorite Excuse part. me, guys. Uh, we need to talk to your marketing company because... Yeah. Yeah. Um, he might not even like the beer. He just, this is the best displayed beer I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, God. There we go. Yeah. Um, so something else to consider is that, um, and I think I mentioned this before, is the concept of harvest windows. Um, okay. And so harvest windows are the period, and th- these are these are varietal and brand specific. Um, and this is part of that sort of quality management thing: is that certain harvest windows are are appropriate for certain hops to be harvested within. Um, meaning that was the worst grammar ever. Uh, meaning uh, <laughs> that um, if you harvest on the early end of that window, you're going to get a slightly different character than if you harvest in the late late side of that window. Okay. Um, and this becomes complex, and we'll get into this in the growing and processing show show later on. But um, so, you know, as I've alluded to, all lots are not equal of the same same hop. Um, they're all good, but they're good in different ways, and they're good in different ways because of where they were grown, agronomic practice, and also like harvest dates. Um, and so you can see these you can get you know on on the spectrum like on, on opposite ends of it you can get like a real blueberry kind of mosaic or you can get kind of a more aggressive danky mosaic okay um and you can do- and this is your job to know not not a brewer's job right a brewer might come to you and say yeah i really like the blueberry quality of give me the name of a hop that has this blue mosaic quality. okay a mosaic i really like that blue you'll you'll know which side of the of the harvest that brewer the lot that he's going to want so or she Actually, I don't like using that. Um, I would much rather rather use analytical data. Okay. Because... it depends on where I and see. who and who grew it. So it's we got to be we got to be careful with that. Understood. Um, and so that was the, the the prevailing wisdom was oh all late harvest stuff is is going to be dank and oniony and what have you. And that's actually not the case. Okay. Um, and so it really depends on the age of rootstock. It depends on agronomic practice. It depends on, on on what side of the valley it was grown in. If it was grown in Oregon, or if it was grown in um, you know in, in northern or southern Idaho. All these things have a really big impact. Um, and um, so re- I always describe it like like bananas. Would you say that it's safe to say that people kind of like like sometimes on the green side, right? Sometimes yellow, but some people like really ripe, and it's really according to preference. And brown and sugary, even. Yeah, I guess that's one way of looking at it. I personally hate bananas. Um, <laughs> hey, look, man. but I think that is a great reference because we are talking about uh, obviously it's not the harvest, but the but the ripeness of the fruit, and and boy does that banana change. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and sometimes you just have to use those bananas to make banana bread, right? Or throw them out in your case. Nope, extract. <laughs> okay. Um, no, because because the alpha acids are still are still are still very prominent, but the oils might have changed to a level where we find that probably nobody's going to want to use these. Okay. Um, but what's so interesting is that uh, you know we're finding that people really have huge varied um, 
great tastes. Uh, it was it was really funny during during selection. Uh, Gerald, she was very new at this, and she was uh, smelling some some lots, and she was setting up selection panels for brewers, and she sees we you know what they chose, and she's like, oh my god, why did they choose those? Those were, those were like really crappy hops. I'm like, no, they're not crappy. They're actually really good. Remember, I had to explain her the difference between character and quality, mm-hmm. um, but what they like and the type of beer that they make with those, they're perfect for. And so it's, it's really a matter of taste. Okay. Um, Can we get into some specific, maybe some case studies? Uh, because if things get too esoteric, I can't follow you. <laughs> I'm sure right. the brewers who are listening are like, no, Nick, you've you got to keep going. But I, I want to put it into play yes. so that we can understand, uh, even just picking a beer. I don't know. Okay. Um, actually, I've, uh, I can give you two examples. I can do one from my insane homebrewing days and one from my insane pre-brewing days. Let's go homebrew first. All right. So um, you can actually find this recipe online. Um, it's done pretty well in every competition it's entered in. Um, and it's called, it's, I called it my, uh, I think it's Ziggy's Oak-Infused Caramel. IPA, um, and this is clearly an early homebrewer recipe <laughs> because the malt bill did have like eight or nine malts in it, and okay. it was, I was going for so so basically like my, my approach to this was and, and thank you Ray Daniels for for designing great beers this informed me greatly mm-hmm. uh, and of course Denny as well this was back in the Tasty Brew days and the Homebrew Digest days and the, so we were all uh, conversing on this in the early thousands um, anyway is um, I was planning on this beer I was like okay you know I've got these hops that I that, that, I, that I, I bought from a dude um, under the Brooklyn Bridge. It's a good start. Yeah, it's always a good start. <laughs> um, well, he was getting out of brewing, and I was getting into it. So okay. Um, um, and I, you know, I read up on them, and it was like I had these two weird hops that I'd never heard of before, and they were Eroica and Bullion, and they're not really grown anymore because they're they have yield issues and they've got some uh, some pest um, some pest resistance issues. Okay. Um, Eroica. Uh, Eroica. Eroica and Bullion? Bullion. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, both of those contribute uh, that very strong black currenty mulberry berry flavor. I like that. Um, and it was really good. And I was like, huh, what would that play well with? And I was like, hmm, more like a berry caramel tart sort of thing. Okay. All right. And so I built this malt bill using a lot of malts that contribute the same things, like uh, some melanoidin malt, a little bit of honey malt, some... Uh, some uh, a special B, all this stuff that had this sort of raisiny character. And, um, you know, the best way to understand your ingredients is to just smell and chew on them um, and then actually try to make some, some malt teas. There's a, there's a new um, uh, protocol out there um, for, for making malt teas to understand malts, and it, it actually works very, very well. Okay. Um, anyway, um, and so my approach was, okay, we know I've got these ingredients. I can make this interesting character. Let's, let's see if I can maximize that. And so I selected hops that would play well with that. Um, and those two in the Whirlpool weren't going to give me enough um, character and enough bittering. And so I was like, okay, well, what, what, what would go well? Uh, you know, how do you make a nice berry coulis? How do you make a nice, like, berry sauce or berry tart? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I usually create some orange peel and spray a little bit of lemon into mine. I've got some Amarillo. Will you play with that? Okay. Um, and so, Egyptio one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> He's uh, even outside of the brand. All right, yeah. man. Um, okay. So um, the way I did that was I, I made the beer and then um, classic home brewer boiled down half the wort. And then ran off the rest of it into it again. So I, caram- I actually took two, two sections of wort. So out of a five-gallon batch, I must have caramelized about two gallons. Okay. And so I boiled them all the way down to a thick syrup. And this is true caramelization. This isn't just melanoidin formation, guys. This is actually caramelization. I was doing over my stove and nearly set fire to the damn thing. <laughs> um, and then poured that back into the boil kettle. 
And so that really maximized the, the, the formation of caramels and, and melanoidins and give it a really strong malt backbone. Racked it all into the fermenter, fermented it out with uh, 1272 to get that sort of nice, uh, slightly tropical character going on, um, and then tasted it, thought it was good, and I dry, I dry hopped it. But I felt it was missing something, mm-hmm. and so I added some oak cubes to it. And so all this together ended up this incredible raisiny, red fruit, jammy beer mm-hmm. that also had oak character. So it smelled kind of like a Speyside scotch. It was, it was great. Wow. Uh, it was actually very popular in Scotland. Okay. Um, and uh, that, it's, a really, I mean, it's a really nice beer. Um, and uh, it, it was that, that's the one that really sort of kicked me off going, huh. You can build with these different blocks. I can build with these different blocks, and I can make totally different shapes. Okay. Um, funny story about that beer, besides yeah. um, nearly setting fire to my uh, to my stove, um, is that I had arrogantly decided to treat to teach all of my friends how to homebrew uh, uh, on my homebrew release party. Okay. Um, and. Uh, what was it like? Your second batch? No, it was it was it was it was later than that. Okay. Um, uh, it was uh, I think actually not too much later. It might have been like my fifth or sixth or something. Okay, yeah. Um, so of course my kitchen was covered in f- carboys fermenting and whatnot. Um, but uh, I, the work cooler, cooler didn't work too well. Um, so I because it was in Brooklyn in the summer and the weather was you know the water groundwater temperature was pretty high. So I uh, you know strapped down my kettle lid, put it in the shower. And let the cold water running onto it. To chill the wort. To chill the wort down further. Okay. Um, horrible practice, but it kind of worked. And there was enough going on in the spear that you didn't get too much DMS. Um, or it just didn't, didn't show up. Um, and, of course, be- being a homebrew party, we all just got absolutely blottoed. So uh, you put the water on, then you went and did something else. I went and drank more okay. on the roof, yeah. which is always smart. Um, and then a friend of mine comes up and says, hey, uh, Nick, is the water supposed to be running into the kitchen? I was like, oh, shit. I go downstairs, and I open the door, the bathroom door, and this just torrent of water pours out, and the kettle floats down into the kitchen. No, (laughs) you're kidding. It's like a kettle boat floating by me. I was like, oh, my God. But I had, I, had, I had successfully sealed the lid on it, and it was it was good. It's like uh, a cartoon. I can picture it. Oh God, it was it was ridiculous. You didn't lose a drop of beer. Didn't lose a drop of beer. Wow. Because I, I had a gasket on the lid because I you know I figured out I'm going to have to seal this. I don't make, I don't don't want to pollute it with any water in there. That would be bad and unsanitary. Sure. Um, <laughs> so it saved the beer, but also led to um, a massive flood in my apartment. So right. not not great. Anyway, good um, beer, bad landlord. Um, landlord was super chill actually because really? he didn't live there. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right. So from a different perspective, though, in planning a beer. Um, so when I was at Magic Rock Brewing, um, what's that? It's in Huddersfield, England. Okay. Um, and uh, one of the beers we made and it's, it became a core range was called Inhaler. And uh, the, 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 the remit was to make a, a session beer that was a session IPA and, uh, you know, real fruity and juicy and kind of a tropical character. And so I kind of went back and said, okay, well, I know these malts play well with this. Let's use these to give it a, 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 a sort of a sweeter finish, so finishing around 1014, 1016, okay. uh, which is four Plato or three and a half Plato. It's pretty sweet. It is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but its starting gravity was like 1046. Okay. So it was really, really, uh, it's actually a low, very low alcohol beer. Um, and then um, we had, I had Galaxy in it and I had um, Amarillo and some other hops. And I was really going for sort of a tropical character around there. Um, but it turns out that, you know, the Galaxy we were getting wasn't aging very well. 
in, in the UK, um, down to a number of factors. And so we actually ended up having to pull that out. And so then looking at what contributing flavors we were getting, it's like, okay, well, how do I rebuild that tropical notes into so the beer? So is that to say you had, you had this galaxy sitting around for a while, and by the time you smelled it when it was brewing day, it had degraded to a point you didn't want to use it? Is that what you mean by it wasn't aging well? Well, we had it in, I mean, we, we had a hop fridge, um, so a hop store that was, uh, you know, we kept it at, at very close to zero. Okay. Uh, as zero C, so like 32 degrees, 34 degrees. Okay. Um, so pretty, pretty dang cold. Um, and that's the biggest way to, to preserve hops. But um, depending on how the hops were processed, depending on how they were shipped to you, you don't really have that much control over that. Um, okay. It's just one of the things you really do want to talk to your hop suppliers about um, is making sure that you're, they're being taken care of all the way to you. Um, but over time, you know, this was, this, was after, this was like six months after we got it. So it was, it was already six months old, and um, it was starting to contribute a character that we didn't like. Okay. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, what, what are we trying to get out of this? And so we swapped out um, uh, the Galaxy for a combination of other hops. And what we ended up using was uh, Equinot, um, a tiny touch of Simcoe, um, a little bit of Mosaic as a lifter, and then um, uh, we amped up the Amarillo just a little bit. And that contributed this really big, juicy tropical flavor, and we noticed an incredible improvement in the beer back to what we really wanted it to be. Okay. Um, and so knowing the hops and understanding the varieties and knowing what compounds they contribute and how they work together, we were able to sort of uh, not flavor match but achieve the, the, the character that we wanted. Got it. Uh, and so it's just really knowing, knowing what your hops can contribute and, and how to use them. Okay. So – Let's just wrap up a little bit, selecting hops. Uh, of course, we've already talked about quality, and uh, that's something that your, your hop provider, if that's Yakima Chief Hops, uh, has done a lot for you. But as a brewer, you want to look at a few things. But it sounded to me like the, the first thing that we obviously want to do is what kind of beer are we making? What are the characters we're looking for? Whether that be earthy piney or citrusy um, or any combination thereof. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and again, as you said, the less is more thing. It's I think it's 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 nice to allow these compounds to shine. Okay. Um, because if you get too many things going on together, um, it just you lose you lose the high notes and the beauty. So you're not really taking full advantage of your ingredients. Okay. Um, finding uh, finding ingredients that go well together. Then um, you know uh, if we're combining hops. Uh, I forget. Did we mention any hops uh, that that you're fairly certain don't go well together? And I know that some of this is is individual uh, preference, but um, I typically wouldn't pair a eucalyptusy nutty something with a um, a citrusy tropical thing. Okay. I think that that's that's kind of like it, it's, it's like. I mean, Trident makes this like passion fruit mint gum, and it weirds me the hell out. Yeah, that sounds weird. It's a, it's a. I mean, it's a. You know, that's pe- people like it. Yeah, but it weirds me out. Right. Um, um, Hang on, let me just cross off Trident as a future sponsor of the show. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so I, I tend to like favor um, things that'll fit together. So citrusy with citrusy, tropical with tropical, um, and obviously yeast selection is a huge thing here. Um, mm-hmm. You need to, to pick a yeast that's going to add things to contribute to that. So, for example, uh, the ester ethyl butyrate is uh, uh, often associated with uh, with fruitiness, sort of generic fruitiness. In high levels, it's, it's a little unpleasant, but at low levels, it's very, very nice. And so having a, a yeast that, that produces a decent amount of ethyl butyrate and at least converts some of the esters from the hops into ethyl butyrate um, is, is very, very useful. Um, but then uh, using them together in terms of uh, where you're going to use them. So some of the compounds will persist after the boil or after the whirlpool. So you're going to get flavor compounds out of that. Mm-hmm. And some of those, a lot of those compounds aren't necessarily fruity, 
but they have other notes. So um, a fresh cut grass note, so that's from Cis3 Hexanol or some other ones, um, will uh, work with some of the citrusy tropical characters to give you a melon flavor. Um, which is really cool. So, so knowing where those are going to come from and how they're going to last in the beer is really, really important. Okay. Um, then, of course, you know, you're looking at the characters, you know, knowing those compounds. And, you know, as, as my team develops these answers, I think we're going to hopefully be able to provide you a lot more detail on, on what to look out for. Um, but then, of course, there is um, quality. You want to make sure that the hops are good. They've been stored well. They're cold. They've been stored cold. They haven't oxidized mm-hmm. um, because if you get oxidized hops, um, they will smell kind of cheesy, kind of dank, kind of catty. Okay. Um, uh, or, you know, in, in, in extreme cases where everything's blown off, they're going to smell like paper, basically. They're not going to smell almost, almost like anything. I see. Um, and that is that is desirable in some cases. Like for, for Lambic beers, uh, for, for, for wild fermentations, you want a lot of that stuff to volatilize off, and you want a lot of the, uh, the alpha acids to have degraded down so you don't mess up your bacteria. Um, but... Um, in fresh beers and, and in, hoppy beers. In fresh hoppy beers, you typically want as fresh hoppy characters you can get. Okay. Um, and then there's intensity. Um, and so the intensity is is a really important one because, you know, you can get the same compounds in, you know, in, in many hops. And you can get the same um, uh compounds from, from the same variety of hops. But as, as I mentioned, as I alluded to yesterday, the rootstock age is a big one. So mm-hmm. they, they really start to, to, to really show off when they're, when they're a little bit older. Um, but if you are going to make like a, um, I don't know, like a, if you want to make like a citrusy lager or something like that, you probably don't want to use a huge amount of big oily citra. Because it's going to be too HBC much. HBC 394. There you go. Okay. Um, you might want to, you know, chuck in something a little bit milder um, with, like, maybe some Cascade um, and some other compounds or some other hops that do contribute citrusiness uh, without a big, bold character. So you're not going to overwhelm the delicate lager character. Okay. Um, and so those are all those are all important. All that said, you know, hop compounds will absorb into beer and to, into water-alcohol mixtures at different rates. So um, if it's a high ABV beer, you're going to want to add a different level of hopping and perhaps even a different combination of hops than you would in a baby version of the same beer. Okay. So those are pretty important things to take care of. Again, intended use, characteristics of the hop, make sure they're of good quality, that they've been uh, you know, kept in an oxygen-free environment and as cold as possible for, for, the, for their life, mm-hmm. and then focus on your, on your intensity. And uh, that's pretty much how you use them. And then go make me an amazing beer. Yes, please. And <laughs> um, I could say send it in, but I think I might drive Justin crazy. So That's true. We're not prepared for that yet. Uh, but we will be bringing in commercial examples and homebrew examples throughout the series uh, so that we can do more case studies like this. Well, that is about all the time that we have today to teach you about selecting hops. But fear not, if you've got more questions, you can send them into hop and brew school at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can also send show ideas there uh, because we're always looking for uh, new topics and what our listeners are looking to learn about. Uh, go visit Yakima Chief at yakimachief.com. Alex, what will people find over at yakimachief.com? Um, yeah, we have a brand. We have a new brand um, and a new website that is going to. It's continually evolving, but it's going to be a great resource for everything as far as a lot. Look up technical solutions, uh, learning about uh, our heritage, uh, really hearing our story. You can also uh, go into our heritage page on our website and learn about the individual growers that you'll see on your Yakima Chief packaging. Excellent. And the lot lookup is there now. So if you're a brewer out there uh, just looking to learn about the hops you've already gotten or that you're going to get, it, you can already look that up. Yeah. And we also have some brewing tools on there for um, uh, bitterness and hop 
shopping calculators that should help you out. Excellent. All right. You can find this show, Tell Your Friends, over on iTunes and the Google Play Store or at thebrewingnetwork.com where it lives. We'll have show notes there, and I'll try to include uh, any links that we talked about here today so that you can go uh, learn more with us. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This has been only our second show on Selecting Hops, which means we've got tons more information coming to you. Uh, What's our next episode? Oh, hop format we're going to cover next, uh, which is pretty exciting because there's all different kinds, right? You've got pellet hops, you've got whole hops, uh, and we're going to dive into every type of uh, format you can get. Hoping that you make us better beer. Thanks for tuning in to the Hop and Brew School. Nick, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Justin. Alex, always a pleasure. Thanks for letting me annoy you with my uh, brands and varieties. (laughs) I'll tell you, it's my favorite part. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care of yourselves and your beer. 